tucked away in Truckee in the Sierra Nevada mountains lies a gold mine, and I'm talking about Valhalla Vintage. Valhalla Vintage is a unique vintage shop offering quality goods. Goods that were made in the USA. Goods that were made to last. They are open Fridays and Saturdays from 10 to 4. Let their knowledgeable staff show you how to wear these classic pieces every day of the week. If you're on your way to Tahoe and Reno, be sure to stop in Truckee and check out Valhalla Vintage. Follow on Instagram at Valhalla Vintage Company or find them online at ValhallaVintageCO.com. That's V-A-L-H-A-L-L-A VintageCO.com. Valhalla Vintage is female-owned. Let the shop owner Emily be your new vintage guru. While you are visiting the heart of the motherlode, make sure to make an appointment at Juniper Moon Tattoo and take home a souvenir that will last you forever. Like a custom tattoo, permanent lip blush, or fresh microbladed brow. Juniper Moon Tattoo is a female-owned professional tattoo shop located in downtown Twainheart. It's inclusive, licensed, friendly, and resting in our beautiful mountains. This shop is super clean with tons to look at. It is a welcoming and relaxing feel, and you will have such a great experience, you just might not want to leave. Juniper Moon Tattoo specializes in custom tattooing and premium permanent makeup services. Make an appointment with the shop owner, Brooke, or one of the talented artists that are creating magic at Juniper Moon by visiting junipermoontattoo.com or calling the shop at 209-432-8945. Located at 22997 Joaquin Gully Road, Suite G in Twainheart, California. million acres burned in California in 2021, but the future of wildfire protection is clear. Let Firebat help protect your home and property with its award-winning, non-toxic, United States Forest Service-approved technology. Firebat is your home hardening experts against wildfire, and they can help protect your home by spraying a clear, fire retardant around critical areas of your property, and it lasts all summer long. Fireback can replace your eaves, foundation, gable, and vents with an ember-proof venting system. Fire danger is a real threat for home and business owners in California. And Fireback Wildfire Defense Services can protect your outside umbrellas, patio furniture, wood decks, and wood siding from rogue embers escaped from nearby fires. Schedule a consultation by calling 209-288-2376 or go to firebackca.com. That's firebackca.com. There you can sign up for a free estimate and home evaluation. 
If there's a chance of taking fire, your best defense is to fire back. Proudly serving Tuolumne County and surrounding areas. Go ahead and follow Fireback on Facebook and Instagram. When Agnes Moulton Quilbreth joined the Mormon Church in Boston in 1832, she met and married Prophet Don Carlos Smith, the brother of Joseph Smith, the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There, at the first-ever Mormon settlement, Agnes gave birth to three daughters. The youngest was Josephine Donna Smith born 1841. Four months after her birth, her father, Don Carlos Smith, died of malaria. In spite of Don Carlos being a bitter opposer of the spiritual wife doctrine, Agnes was almost immediately remarried to her late husband's brother, Joseph Smith, in 1842, making her probably his seventh wife. Today, we will talk about Josephine Donna Smith, whose life in California spanned the pioneer American occupation to the first renaissance of the 19th century feminist movement. She was an American poet, writer, librarian, and all-out legend in the San Francisco Bay Area literary community. Season three features inspiring, gallant, even audacious stories of real 19th century women from the Wild West. Stories that contain adult content, which may be disturbing to some listeners or secondhand listeners. So, discretion is advised. I'm Andrea Anderson, and this is Queens of the Minds, Season 3. After Josephine was born, they called her Ina. And for her mother, Agnes, Sharing your partner with that many people left her lonely at times. And not surprisingly, during the marriage, Agnes felt neglected. Two years later, Joseph Smith was killed at the hands of an anti-Mormon and anti-polygamy mob. Agnes, scared for her life, moved to St. Louis, Missouri with Ina and her siblings. Agnes reverted to using her maiden name, Coolbirth to avoid identification with Mormonism and her former family. She never again spoke of their Mormon past. Agnes married again in Missouri to William Pickett. Pickett had also converted to Mormonism and had a second wife. He was an LDS church member, a printer, a lawyer, and an alcoholic. Agnes had twin sons with Pickett, and they left the church and headed west, and they left his second wife behind. Ina had never been in school, but Pickett had brought along a well-worn copy of Lord Byron's poetry, a set of Shakespeare, and the Bible. As they traveled, the family passed time reading. Inspired, Ina made up poetry in her head as she walked alongside her family's wagon. It was a long journey, and somewhere in the Nevada sands, The children of the wagon train gathered as Ina buried her doll after it took a tumble and split its head. Ina's life in California started at her arrival in front of the wagon train through Beckworth Pass in 1851, 
Her sister and her riding bareback on the horse of the famous mountain man, explorer, and scout, Jim Beckworth. He had guided the caravan and called Ina his little princess. In Virginia, Beckworth was born a slave. His father, who was his owner, later freed him. As the wagon train crossed into California, he said, Here, little girls, is your kingdom. The trail would later be known as Beckworth Pass. Ina was the first white child to cross through the Sierra Nevadas on Beckworth Pass. The family settled in San Bernardino and then in Los Angeles, which still had largely a Mormon and Mexican population. Flat adobe homes with courtyards filled with pepper trees, vineyards, and peach and pomegranate orchards. In Los Angeles, Agnes' new husband Pickett established a law practice. Lawyers had become the greatest beneficiaries after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. They were acquiring Mexican land in exchange for representation and court contests, and Pickett was one of those lawyers. Ina began writing poetry at age 11 and started school for the first time at 14, attending Los Angeles's first public school on Street and Second. She published her poetry in the local newspaper and was published in the Los Angeles Star, or Estrella, when she was just 15 years old. At 17, she met Robert Bruce Carsley, a part-time actor and a full-time ironworker for Salamander Ironworks. Salamander Ironworks built jails, iron doors, and balconies, and Ina and Robert married in a doctor's home near the San Gabriel Mission. They lived behind the ironworks, and they had a son. Robert Carsley revealed himself to be an abusive man returning from a minstrel show in San Francisco. He became obsessed with the idea that his new wife had been unfaithful to him. Carsley arrived at Pickett's Adobe, where Ina was for the evening. He was screaming that Ina was a whore in that very tiny, quiet pueblo. Pickett gathered up his rifle and shot his son-in-law's hand right off. Hi, this is Morgan from the LGBTQ Rural Resource Center serving Tuolumne and Calaveras counties. I would like to personally invite all of you rainbow listeners who are out in the mountains to visit us at lgbtqrural.org. There you could learn about programs, advocacy, education, resources, and upcoming events. We are also excited to announce that we will soon have a physical location. We look forward to sharing our safe space with you. LGBTQRural.org Visit Columbia Mercantile 1855 for that good old hometown shopping experience. The Columbia Mercantile 1855 is an 1850s inspired full service market and grocer offering quality staples and specialties including local meats and poultry and local produce. You never know what treasures you'll find. From fresh baked San Francisco sourdough to bottles of sarsaparilla, they have beer and wine, pharmaceutical needs, local art, and even offerings for musicians. Find artisan cheeses, honeys, cookies, olive oils, and specialty snacks. And if you are looking for choices for healthier lifestyles, 
Teresa also carries organic, gluten-free, and vegan options. It's a fabulous store with wonderful products and a caring shop owner. EBT accepted. Open daily from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. at 11245 Jackson Street in Columbia State Historic Park. The next few months proved to be rough for Ina. She got an uncontested divorce within three months in a sensational public trial. And then tragically, her infant son died. And even though divorce was legal, her former friends crossed the street to avoid meeting her. Ina fell into a deep depression. She legally took her mother's name, Coolbrith, and moved to San Francisco with her mother, stepfather, and their twins. In San Francisco, Ina continued to write and publish her poetry and found work as an English teacher. Her poems were published in the literary newspaper, The Californian. The editor of The Californian was author Samuel Langhorns Clemens. You might know him as Mark Twain. Ina made friends with Mark Twain, John Muir, Bret Hart, and Charles Warren Stoddard, who was Twain's queer drinking companion. Coolbrith, known for her beauty, was called a dark-eyed sapphic divinity and the sweetest note in California literature by Bret Hart and John Muir attempted to introduce her to all of the eligible men. Coolbrith, Hart, and Stoddard formed what became known as the Golden Gate Trinity. The Golden Gate Trinity was closely associated with the literary journal Overland Monthly, which published short stories written by the 28-year-old Mark Twain. Ina became the editorial assistant, and for a decade, she supplied one poem for each new issue. Her poems also appeared in Harper's, Scribner's, and other popular national magazines. At her home on Russian Hill, Ina hosted literary gatherings where writers and publishers rubbed shoulders and shared their vision of a new way of writing. It was different than East Coast writing. There were readings of poetry and topical discussions in the tradition of European salons, and Ina danced the fandango and played the guitar and she sang American and Spanish songs. Actress and poet Ada Minkin was a frequent visitor to her parties. We know Ada Minkin from the Lotto Crabtree episode and also from the book, as she was a past fling of famous Lotto Crabtree. And we'll learn more about her later in this season. The friendship between Coolbrith and Minkin gave Minkin credibility as an intellectual although Ina was never able to impress Hart of her worth at the gatherings. Another friend of Ina's was the eccentric poet Cincinnatus H. Miller. Ina introduced Miller to the San Francisco Literary Circle, and when she learned of his adoration of the heroic, tragic life of Joaquin Murrieta, Ina suggested that he take the name Joaquin Miller. She insisted he dress the part with longer hair, and a more pronounced mountain man style. The rest of that story tells itself. Coolbrith and Miller planned a tour of the East Coast and Europe, but when Ina's mother, Agnes, and Ina's sister both became seriously ill, Ina decided to stay in San Francisco 
and take care of them and her nieces and nephews. She agreed to raise Miller's daughter as well, Kala Shasta, a beautiful half-Indigenous girl, as he traveled around Europe brandishing himself a poet. Coolbrith and Miller had shared an admiration for the poet Lord Byron, and they decided that Miller should lay a wreath on his tomb in England. They collected laurel branches in Sausalito, and Ina made the wreath. A stir came across English clergy when Miller placed the wreath on the tomb at the Church of St. Mary Magdalene, Hucknall. They did not understand the connection between the late Lord and a couple of California poets. Not to be outdone, the clergy sent to the King of Greece for another laurel wreath from the country of Byron's heroic death. The two wreaths were hung side by side over Byron's tomb. And after this, Miller was nicknamed the Byron of the West. Coolbrith wrote of the excursion in her poem, With a Wreath of Laurel. She was the primary earner for her extended family, and they needed a bigger home. So, while Miller was in Europe, she moved the whole family to Oakland, where she was elected honorary member of the Bohemian Club. When her mother and sister soon died, and she became the guardian of her orphaned nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters, the Bohemian Club members discreetly assisted Ina in her finances. She took a full-time job as Oakland's first public librarian, working six days a week, 12 hours a day, earning $80 a month. That was much less than a man would have received in that position at the time. Her poetry suffered as a result of the long work hours and for nearly 20 years, Ina only published sporadically. Instead, Ina became a mentor for a generation of young readers. She hand chose books for her patrons based on their interests. In 1886, Ina mentored the 10-year-old Jack London. She guided his reading and London called her his literary mother. London grew up to be an American novelist, journalist, and social activist. 20 years later, London wrote to Coolbrith to thank her. He said, I name you noble. That is what you were to me, noble. That was the feeling I got from you. Oh yes, I got also the feeling of sorrow and suffering, but dominating them always writing above all was noble. No woman has affected me to the extent you did. I was only a little lad. I knew absolutely nothing about you. Yet in all the years that have passed, I have met no woman so noble as you. One young reader was another woman featured in previous Queens of the Minds episode, Isadora Duncan, the creator of modern dance. Duncan described Coolbrith as a very wonderful woman with beautiful eyes that glowed with burning fire and passion. Isadora was the daughter of a man that Ina had dazzled, enough to cause the breakup of his marriage. What was it like for the women in California during the 1850s? What hardships did they face? And what victories were they able to realize? Who were the first women who came to California and who was already here? 
explore the lives of brilliant people who made their own way in a time where women were not welcome to do so. Hear the stories that contributed to the shaping of the future of California and the United States in the paperback Queens of the Minds, available on Amazon. You can also support Queens of the Minds on Patreon. The library patrons of Oakland called for reorganization in 1892, and after 18 years of service, a vindictive board of directors fired Ina, giving her three days' notice to clear her desk. One library trustee was quoted as saying, We need a librarian, not a poet. She was replaced by her nephew, Henry Frank Peterson. Colbert's library friends were outraged, and worried that Ina would move away, becoming alien to California. They published a lengthy opinion piece to that effect in the San Francisco Examiner. John Muir, who often sent letters and the occasional box of freshly picked fruit, also preferred to keep her in the area. And in one package, a letter suggested that she fill the newly opened position of the Librarian of San Francisco. In Coolbrith's response to Muir, she thanked him for the fruit of your land and the fruit of your brain, but said, no, I cannot have Mr. Cheney's place. I am disqualified by sex. San Francisco required that their librarian was a man. Ina returned to her beloved Russian Hill. In 1899, the artist William Keith and poet Charles Keeler offered Coolbrith the position as the Bohemian Club's part-time librarian. Her first assignment was to edit songs from Bohemia, a book of poems by journalist and the Bohemian Club co-founder, Daniel O'Connell. Her salary in Oakland was $50 each month. That's the equivalent of $1,740 in 2022. She then signed on as staff of Charles Fletcher Loomis's magazine, The Land of Sunshine. Her duties were light enough that she was able to devote a great proportion of her time to writing. Coolbirth was often sick in bed with rheumatism. Even as her health began to show signs of deterioration, she did not stop her work at the Bohemian Club. She began to work on a history of California literature as a personal project. Songs from the Golden Gate was published in 1895. It contained The Captive of the White City, which detailed the cruelty dealt to Native Americans in the late 19th century. Coolbrith kept in touch with her first cousin, Joseph F. Smith, to whom and for whom she frequently expressed her love and regard. In 1916, she sent copies of her poetry collections to him. He publicized them, identifying her as the niece of Joseph Smith. This greatly upset Coolbrith. She told him that to be crucified for a faith in which you believe in is to be blessed. To be crucified for one in which you do not believe in is to be crucified indeed. Coolbrith fled from her home at Broadway and Taylor with her Angora cats, her student boarder Robert Norman, and her friend Josephine Zeller when the 1906 San Francisco earthquake hit. Her friends took a few small bundles of letters from colleagues and Colbert's scrapbook filled with press clippings about her and her poems. In 
Across the bay, Joaquin Miller spotted heavy smoke and took a ferry from Oakland to San Francisco to help Coolbrith in saving her valuables from the encroaching fire. Miller was prevented from doing so by soldiers who had ordered to use deadly force against looters. Coolbrith's home burned to the ground. Soldiers evacuated Russian Hill, leaving Ina and Josie, two refugees, among many, wandering San Francisco's tangled streets. Coolbrith lost 3,000 books, row upon row of priceless, signed first editions, rare original artwork, and many personal letters in the disaster. Above all, her nearly complete manuscript, part memoir, part history of California's literary scene, including personal stories about her friends Bret Hart, Mark Twain, and John Muir, were lost. Coolbrith spent a few years in a temporary residence after the blaze, and her friends rallied to raise money to build her a home. Mark Twain sent three autographed photographs from New York that sold for $10 a piece. He then sat for 17 more studio photographs to further the fund. She received a discreet grant from her bohemian friends and a trust fund from a colleague in 1910. She set up again at a new house at 1067 Broadway on Russian Hill. Coolberth got back to business, writing, and holding literary salons. She traveled by train to New York City several times for several years, greatly increasing her poetry output. In those years, she produced more than she had produced in the preceding 25 years. Her style was more than usual themes expected of women. Her sensatious descriptions of natural scenes advanced the art of Victorian poetry to incorporate greater accuracy without trite sentiment, foreshadowing the work of Robert Frost. Coolbrith was named president of the Congress of Authors and Journalists in preparation for the 1915 Panama Pacific International Exposition in San Francisco. That year, Coolbrith was also named California's first poet laureate and the first poet laureate of any American state on June 30, 1915. A poet laureate composed poems for special events and occasions. Then it was a position for the state that was held for life. The Overland Monthly reported that eyes were wet throughout the large audience when Coolbrith was crowned with a laurel wreath by Benjamin Ide Wheeler, president of the University of California, who called her the loved laurel-crowned poet of California. After several more speeches were made in her honor and bouquets brought in abundance to the podium, 74-year-old Coolberth accepted the poppy saying, there is one woman here with whom I want to share these honors, Josephine Clifford McCracken, for we are linked together the last two living members of Bret Hart's staff of Overland Writers. Colbert continued to write and work to support herself until her final publication in 1917. Six years later, in May of 1923, Colbert's friend Edwin Markham found her at the Hotel Latham in New York City, very old, disabled, sick, and broke. Markham asked her friend Lotta Crabtree to gather help for her. 
she was brought back to California where she was settled in Berkeley to be cared for by her niece. The next year, Mills College conferred upon her an honorary Master of Arts degree in spring of 1926. She received visitors such as her old friend, art patron Albert M. Bender, who brought young Ansel Adams to meet her. Adams made a photographic portrait of Coolbrith, seated near one of her white Parisian cats. A group of writers began meeting at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, naming their group the Ina Coolbrith Circle. When she returned to Berkeley, she never missed a Sunday meeting until her death at 87 years old. She died on a leap day, February 29, 1928. The New York Times wrote, Miss Coolbrith is one of the real poets among the many poetic masqueraders in the volume. She's buried in Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, my fave. It was only upon her death that her literary friends discovered that she had ever been a mother. Her poem, The Mother's Grief, was a eulogy to a lost son, but she never publicly explained its meaning. Most people didn't even know that she was a divorced woman. She didn't even talk about her marriage, except through poetry. Ina Coolbrith Park was established in 1947 near her Russian Hill home by the San Francisco parlors of the Native Daughters of the Golden West. The house she had built near Chinatown is still there, as is the house on Wheeler in Berkeley where she died. Byways in the Berkeley Hills were named after Bret Hart, Charles Warren Stoddard, Mark Twain, and others in her circle, but women were never included initially. In 2016, the name of a stairway in the hills that connects Grizzly Peak Boulevard and Miller Avenue in Berkeley was changed from Bret Hart Lane to Ina Coolbrith Path. Her name is also commemorated at the 7,900-foot peak near Beckworth Pass on Mount Ina Coolbrith in the Sierra Nevada Mountains near Slate Route 70. Her life in California spanned the pioneer occupation, the end of the gold rush, the end of Rancho era in Southern California, the arrival of the intercontinental train, and the first renaissance of the 19th century feminist movement. The American Civil War played no evident part in her consciousness, but her life and her writing revealed acceptance of everyone from all classes and all races. Everyone whose life she touched wrote about her in kindness. Painfully crippled by arthritis, she wrote by hand. Her handwriting was crabbed as a result, full of strikeouts. She earned her own living and supported three children and her mother. She was the sweet singer of California, an American poet, writer, librarian, and a legend in the San Francisco Bay Area literary community, known as the Pearl of Our Tribe. Now this all leads me to wonder, what will your legacy be? Queens of the Minds was created and produced by me, Andrea Anderson. You can support Queens of the Minds on Patreon or purchasing the book, Queens of the Minds. Paperback, hardback, and Kindle versions are available on Amazon. This season's theme song is by This Lonesome Paradise. 
You can find their music anywhere, but you should support the band by buying their music and merch at thislonesomeparadise.bandcamp.com.